Really excited. This is not my usual track. I'm pretty technical, so uh, bear with me because this is something a little bit new. I am trying out my management skills and my human skills. So this content in specific is a little bit different. The twist here is that I talk a lot of times about uh, how to chase after DevSecOps, how to chase after DevOps. So culture hacking, you know, how do you get an entire organization, how do you get many companies to really uh, take advantage of security at speed and scale has been a journey that I've been on for many, many years in many organizations. And thankfully, I have found an organization that really understands what it means to build security into products. So I'm excited about sharing this content with you. Like I said, it's a little bit of a management event. How do you do this? And how do you help organizations to really uh, bring these capabilities to life through the uh, professional development uh, experience? So a little bit about me, um, I'm a little bit of an odd duck. I started building a bunch of uh, comic strips, so I haven't uploaded the latest ones lately, but uh, I tend to like to have a little bit of sense of humor when it comes to doing some of these things. I have been working with uh, a variety of folks in the rugged tribe for now a few years, and started the DevSecOps Foundation a few years back. Um, after going through a lot of experiences, realizing that this was something that we needed to really take seriously, that the world is about to change, that there's a lot more complexity. And so I've been on this journey for quite some time and have a few people in the audience who I've worked with in the past, which was really cool to see. Um, I also recently started another foundation, Hacker Girl, which is all about bringing women to the field of cybersecurity. You'll probably hear more about that in the uh, coming year, so I'm, I'm super excited about trying to get that to take off because there's a million open jobs right now in cybersecurity and not enough women out there who have entered the field. So uh, please uh, take a look at that when you get a chance. So how we're going to spend our time to get today, I have been banging my head against the wall for now a few years. I figured I would share that so you didn't have to do the same banging of the head against the wall. Uh, ultimately, I'd like to inspire you to rebel in your own way. You don't necessarily have to color your hair bright red to do so. Um, but uh, ultimately, to really ignite security in a new way and bring to a fair, safer software sooner. I think that this is an ultimately a great thing to do. I have two little girls who I like to inspire every day. And the reason I'm very passionate about this is because both of my children have had their PII stolen. And um, one of them is under two. And that for me was a call to action because I realized that these two children are going to have to have um, credit monitoring for the rest of their lives. They are probably going to have a bunch of folks that are going to go after them from the standpoint of fraud. And that's just not acceptable in my book. It also means that they're not going to get the advantage of understanding technology the same way I do unless I do something about it. So, you know, most say it's never a good idea to break the rules. Um, I haven't really lived by the rules for most of my career. And I would say that many people have gone gray or lost hair managing me. Um, but honestly, when it comes to breaking the rules, sometimes you just need to. And so the second part of this statement is, until the forces of change demand it. I'm going to tell you about the beginning of this and the reason why I've gone to the effort of going out and volunteering to bring this content to the world and also to help other organizations to do these things is because it's really important. It's one of the most important things that we're going to do in the security community in the next few years. Software's eating the world. You know, your 
toaster is talking to your refrigerator, and they're both DDoSing the world. And um, unfortunately, it's because username and passwords are all hard-coded into those devices. No one ever really anticipated this. Mark Andreessen talked about software eating the world. We're super excited about it. I love all of my devices having the ability to um, compute for me, and I don't even have to think about it. But in the end, I think it's really necessary to have that be better. DevOps is also eating the world. In the last couple of years, there's been a 1,500% uptick in the number of jobs available for DevOps. That's kind of crazy. Wow. Companies aren't just talking about software development or operations or sysadmin anymore. Um, in fact, things are starting to become more increasingly important to us, and working together, collaborating is bringing new advancements. When it comes down to it, cloud is also eating the world. Gosh, I love this stuff. Um, in the last few years, we've gotten to see major advances. Security starting to become part of the cloud journey. You're seeing a lot more creativity on its frontier. And that also means that there's many more things to get wrong. One of the worst things I've heard in the last few years is that security is blocking the world. This is the end of security as we know it. And isn't it a good thing? It's something that Josh Foreman has talked about in many of his discussions. And when I first heard this, I realized, oh my gosh, I need to go find a new career. The world doesn't need me anymore. Everything is good. And this DevOps thing was going to take care of everything. And when he first said it, he actually said it without the dot, dot, dot. It was just, this is the end of security as we know it. And I'm like, really? I kind of remember at the time security wasn't all that great. And um, when he said it the second time, he said, isn't it a good thing? I kind of really got to the point where I got to talk to this guy. He had this dialogue that made so much sense, but didn't make so much sense. How could we actually get to the point where security was going to go away? So we had it out. We had a rugged DevOps versus DevSecOps dinner. It was epic. Um, we actually got to meet prior to that, and we realized we had a lot of um, interesting dialogue. We both came to the same conclusions that this DevOps thing was really our reset for security. We could do it better. And by doing it better, a lot of us were engineers who ultimately realized that we had to bring everybody with us. Bringing everybody with you is kind of this weird thing, especially when you're not human, you don't speak English, because by the way, I actually get tell, told all the time that I actually speak some other language that's not English. Um, and definitely not human, by the way. So what's interesting is engineers all getting together, this bottoms-up movement could really be driven. And as managers and leaders in a professional development track, that's kind of a scary concept. So I also found out that the whole DevOps movement had this dialogue about security in their mind, which is we're considered the proctologists of the technology universe. Um, we're there to clean up everybody's poop, so if they're doing DevOps, ultimately they're building software that doesn't need security, because by the way, security's going away. And then, you know, basically putting our heads in the sand. And this world is changing in a way that needs to be transformed. And so, when I went through this whole effort of understanding, I really got to the point where I did not like that unicorn picture, because it just was so offensive to me. If you're going to do the right thing, you're going to shift security to the left, you're going to figure out how to build software securely, and this picture should ultimately go away. I later transformed that picture and found a way to make it so that if we just eat better stuff, if it goes in better, then maybe it can all be biodegradable when it comes out. That's kind of my landscape. Now, I will tell you, unicorns suck. What is a unicorn? A unicorn is somebody who believes that they're going to ultimately build the best stuff of their lives, and that they don't build bad stuff. 
They never make mistakes, they're absolutely infallible, and those unicorns, they suck. Now, I wouldn't be a good security professional without a cat picture, this is my cat picture. I'm gonna tell you that most cats in my organization don't affiliate themselves with this type of cat, but some other type of cat. We're gonna talk about those cats in a little bit. My clicker stopped working. So, hold on a second, I may have killed the cat. All right, there we go. So, um, you know, if you're gonna do something right, you're gonna find a way to put security into everything you do. We were about to go extinct from a security community perspective, because that's what Josh Corman said, and I actually decided I was gonna fight back. Uh, ultimately, this meant some sort of DNA recombination. I have my degree in biomechanics, and that meant that I could do this. I could find a way to bring a whole bunch of people to the party, and that meant bringing development, security, and operations together and figuring out how to get my organization to do that was really unique because I said, hey, to my boss, I really don't want security to go extinct. I'm not really sure what I'm gonna do with myself if this is actually true. And by the way, I think you need my skills to help with this transformation. So learning how to be a leader was part of that journey, getting more DevOps-centric, going on the cloud journey, and bringing that to everybody around me was sort of an interesting mix. What it meant was I had to do some culture hacking. How do you go from traditional security where everybody's got a compendium of knowledge into this bold new world that has no compendium of knowledge, there's not really a um, common operating model, there wasn't a way in which we were gonna actually take security and embed it into every individual and have them make all the decisions because by the way, most of those decisions are still being invented. Back a few years, I was told that there was no book for what I was gonna be doing. Cloud security was an unwritten book at the time. And there were many things missing in the cloud platforms that had to be reinvented and pushed back in. I think that that led to sort of this culture hacking idea. Zappos, other companies are all doing some sort of culture hacking. And you look at what they're trying to accomplish and that culture hacking is essential to how they've made strides. Netflix culture hacked, Zappos culture hacked, you've got AWS culture hacked. Everybody was doing it, but nobody was defining it. What did it really mean? Culture hacking is really simple. It's a very simple concept. You gotta bring everybody with you. It's harder than it sounds though. Um, I can tell you that bringing a lot of people along with you for the ride is all about understanding where you're going, where you're headed, how much investment there is, what the value is, whether people really want to achieve it. And security is everyone's responsibility. We all hear it going through the air airports, right? We've all been culture hacked to death around how we actually have to turn in bad bags that are sitting around laying there, you know, potentially not good for us. And I kind of, maybe I just got culture hacked myself. I was walking through an airport one day and said, yeah, security is everyone's responsibility, right? People should be able to make these decisions. We shouldn't have to have specialists in this field. Mm, that was an interesting concept. And Josh Corman and I ended up spending a lot of time debating whether or not security professionals in the future actually exist. And my premise is that they do. And I'll tell you a little bit about why. But when it comes down to it, his premise was they don't. DevOps is gonna swallow the world. And DevOps meant cloud, and it meant agile, and it meant all these concepts. And when it came down to it, there's many things that we have to understand, and there's a journey to be led. So DevSecOps. Yesterday we had 900 people show up to the DevOps track. That was very impressive. A few years ago it was 30. 
I think last year it was maybe 100 or so, and this year 900 people. That's a big growth spurt for us when it comes to trying to put security into DevOps. That's very impressive, especially at this type of show. And by the way, not everybody in the room was a security professional. That was even more impressive. I thought that that was an awesome new thing for us to see many more people coming to shows like this to get the security knowledge that they need to make better decisions. So why is it necessary? This is a Wardley map. I thought that this was one of the most incredible things that I've ever discovered, and the reason why was that I resonated with it. How do you bring people along when you have to be able to explain the journey, you have to explain the story to them? To do so, you actually have to understand the landscape. And it's not enough to just put down your change leadership journey and actually explain that to somebody. Oh, well, we're going to go from traditional security to agile security to DevSecOps. It wasn't enough until we actually started thinking about these things. The cloud is really moving folks from compute all the way into a commoditized capability that's got software-defined capabilities built in. And then from there, compliance has got to shift. And then from there, you've got penetration that's going to have to shift. And, and well, from traditional security, you're going to have to shift. Otherwise, if you don't shift to the left, you're going to end up with something that doesn't fit with things that are coming. As we see new capabilities and features being built for ultimately our customer who derives what value is, you have to keep up with their needs. Now, I'm going to tell you that Josh Carman started the rugged software movement. I think he was ahead of his time. And the reason why is because until customers are demanding these features, people will not believe that they're valuable enough to build. Well, how do you get that to happen, right? Well, it's kind of interesting because the economy is going to demand more and more security features as it hits the end user's pocketbook. And that's when all of a sudden that very far right-hand corner is going to become one of the most, things, most important things that we need to be doing as innovation catalysts. It also means that transparent security is going to be required to get there. We've got to have fewer, better suppliers. DevSecOps is only a, a way to get there, and it's a way to bring everybody along, right? And the reason why is because, oh, ultimately DevOps has become this thing that now is becoming more productized. We're seeing greater investments to change our world so that we can ultimately get to the point where lots of iteration ends up being valuable to that ultimate end user customer. So what I thought was incredible was that there are iterations happening every day. People are pushing value in software every day. But when you think about how financial reporting comes to bear, one of the most important things that a shareholder cares about is how much value am I deriving on a quarterly basis? Well, that's done through iteration. And if you line these two things up, you get lots of little iterations that culminate in lots of value to your end, of, end user and your shareholders. So we're starting to find ways to have these conversations between the folks that I said started this, which is your, your engineers who are trying to derive value, and then ultimately the people who are putting together these teams and assembling them. Why is this an interesting thing? Well, how hard could it be? I mean, we all have a bunch of security professionals that are working for us. There's a lot of things that have to happen, but there's tons of tools, right? I mean, how many people are here at RSA? How many vendors are here at RSA? What types of capabilities could possibly be, possibly be lacking? And when you start lining these things up in the development community, it's super simple, right? We're just going to publish software, and there's a really easy continuous delivery mechanism. Lots of tooling that makes that easy. APIs, 
the ability to publish software and monitor it and measure it and make it valuable. And in the end, security doesn't have that easy of a job. There's tons of UIs and UXs. There's all kinds of problems. You're building trust and confidence by going the other direction because ultimately when software comes out, if it didn't have security from the very start, well, you missed. And you might have missed in source code some sort of continuous integration. And ultimately, at the very end, you've got a lot of stuff to clean up the mess. And you've got end-to-end -end capabilities here from a security perspective. Lots of money gets spent at the very left of this diagram on all of the things there. Metasploit, you've heard about those things. If you go down, some of the biggest booths out there are the ones that are being run by companies that have runtime capabilities that have full end-to-end -end security capabilities, but that means that it's actually happening too late. We're actually solidifying the approvals that we need. And so that means that if you're managing a troop, you're actually having a hard time changing it and transforming it. So what types of skills are required? We kind of did this whole thing where we realized that we weren't going to move very far if we just had security professionals trying to go and work with people who did development. And we also weren't going to move very far if uh, we only worked with folks that did operations. So we decided to take an experiment where we brought a bunch of sysadmins, developers, and security professionals together, mushed them up, put them at a table, 10 of them actually, and decided that if they didn't kill each other, we'd actually do better. Um, they, thank God, didn't kill each other. It was an interesting and very crowded table, and I said something very interesting at the time. What I said to the folks at the time was, As you may not like this table to begin with. In fact, most of these folks came out of offices, and they weren't all that excited about giving up their office to all work together. But I said, if you don't kill each other, the reason why you're going to be so excited about this journey is that at some point, this table will get so crowded that you will fight to get to it every day. And now people fight to get to the table every day, to sit next to the person who's going to help them to learn more. And so this was an interesting and amazing thing. And what we found out was that developers ultimately had to build security and operations capabilities, but they needed people to work with, and they needed to be sitting very close to them. Sysadmins actually needed to have that ability to have security and operations next to them. And security professionals had to learn how to code. Oh my gosh, that was hard. And by the way, I can tell you, majority of the security engineers who are awesome don't really code all that great. In fact, one of them was a compliance specialist, and he's like, you're not going to make me code. In fact, I know that in a year, you're not going to make me code. And I said, I'm just going to tell you that anybody who doesn't code at the end of this first year isn't working on my team. And he got really close to the very end of that year. And three months before, I said, so when are you going to pick up coding? And he's like, oh, I thought you were joking. I said, you got three months left. That's going to be a rough ride. How are you going to do this? And he's like, oh my gosh, you're serious. And I said, yeah. I said, otherwise, start looking for another job. And he, he coded. He coded real quick. <laughs> Uh, he pretty much took out every tool, every book, started talking to everybody about how to develop code, and he built one of the most useful tools that we had at the time, because he was incentivized to figure out how to stay on the team, because it was absolutely that important. So, was everybody bought in? Ugh. So, management really had a hard time with this. I think my manager was very brave. I know he's actually changed colors of hair since working with me. And also may have lost a few hairs there too. 
Um, I also know that it took a lot of understanding for DevOps and innovation, changing my hat, changing my team's hat, and realizing that they had to have empathy for what it took to develop code. Every single one of my security professionals now will tell you that it is really hard to publish code and do it well and actually keep it secure, which means they ultimately went from, those are some really stupid developers, to, oh my gosh, it's really hard to develop stuff and make it secure. And by the way, most security professionals don't trust people, which means, and they rightfully so, 1% insider threat is really scary. But when you take all of these things together, how did we get to the point where I'm standing on this stage in front of you is a lot of commitment to this change and also this notion that we're no longer gonna be able to control it. We can't necessarily cultivate it very quickly. We're not gonna collaborate our way into it, but we absolutely are gonna be dedicated to a competency. We're gonna figure out how to train each other and we're gonna ultimately get good and competent at the decisions we make, the things we build, and ultimately prevail because competence is something that everybody can get into. Making me better every day is something I can be passionate about. Making everybody around me better is something I can be passionate about and sharing this capability is necessary. So who can help? Um, when I said earlier that we brought 10 people to bear, they were some of the rarest people in the industry. I think we begged somebody to come to work for us at one point. Uh, he had been begged for a year, and we finally went and took him to Jamaican sushi, and I, he thinks that I spiked his sushi. I can tell you I probably had something to do with the fact that he came. The reason why he came was because I said, you're going to get to do some amazing red teaming. We're not going to put a bunch of boundaries around you. We're going to figure out how to tell the story and bring people with you. And he absolutely thought, you know what? You're crazy enough to make it happen. And he bought in. And um, many of the other people on this in this group did too. We have great developers, we've got great operations specialists and security professionals, all that started this amazing group to begin with. It was a big bet. It was something that I said, I'm going to do this in six months with 10 people and a couple million dollars and we are going to basically pull together our strategy for cloud security. We're gonna do something that nobody else is doing. I wanna figure out if it works because if it doesn't work, there's not a lot else out there. How are you going to make security come to bear when everything is continuously being published and security doesn't scale? So you've got to remove barriers. One of the things that was really interesting is we've knocked down all the walls to our offices and we've got big flat tables and we've brought a whole bunch of people together and we've also said things like, show up to our organization. Come and talk to us, work with us, build skills, build competencies. Make it so you can make decisions. And um, what I will tell you is I was worried about having enough leadership skills to not get eaten. Not just by my team, but by my organization. And I have to tell you, I have an amazing organization because it believes so much in the leadership skills that it has to be able to raise individuals like myself so that we can actually get change leadership to occur and innovation to happen. Now I will tell you, I've talked to many, many other organizations and they don't necessarily have a cat team, but they've got a few cats out there and they're still trying to figure out how to manage them. Some people who are struggling with this change, they've got the skills, they've got the capabilities, but they are actually ultimately not staying with their organizations because they haven't found a way to be part of and embraced as part of a cultural organizational shift. Um, so did it work really smoothly at first? Not necessarily. I would say that it was actually um, a little bit of a mess to begin with, if I'm honest. 
And if I'm not too honest, I can say that it was actually all planned. Um, but ultimately, HBR wrote something that I thought was incredible. It was actually in 2016, which is a few years afterwards. I think they started listening to everybody who was going through these journeys of DevOps and cloud and trying to bring these skills to bear. And um, the rebellion that was taking place in the security group was actually out of sheer necessity. We had to change. We didn't have an option. And the reason why is because the cloud has hockey sticked, and we're on an all-in all journey which meant figure out how to do it because we need you to. I thought it was great because we've increased our communication. Are we perfect? No. Are we getting better at it? Yes. Is there a lot at stake? Absolutely, because companies like mine have to build software better. What Josh Corman says is that basically we've actually flattened the playing field because now the only thing that matters is that you can build better software faster and nothing else matters, especially if software is eating the world. I thought that was an incredible revelation because it means that friction needs to be important if you're going to put it in place. If you're going to increase the software security that you have, there's got to be a reason. You can't just build things securely and think that that's going to also derive value. So how do you avoid being eaten by these big cats? So remember, they've got huge security skills, they're the red team. They've got big development skills, they build stuff at speed and scale, they're onboarding to a whole bunch of CICD capabilities. Um, we went from, you are going to live in this box and be perfect at your job. We got to the point where we realized that we couldn't really use structured policies. We have like one rule for our red team, which is don't take production down. And um, we also realized that we had to be able to tell stories. So every week we got together, we built demos. Everybody does a five-minute demo to explain to each other how they're doing what they're doing. And those are video demos, so my team went from having to do their security job with a bunch of policies to how do I actually um, survive in this environment, and telling stories to each other is a great way. I also think that one of the other things that really came out of this is instead of getting approvals from the very top, my team has learned how to do lessons learned. We're in chat ops, there's constant evolution to the storyline. Um, we sort of got to a point where the demos weren't making much sense, but we actually uh, made it make more sense because we realized that they were episodes. From one episode to the next, if you didn't carry the context and the storyline for what was changing, you didn't actually retain people's um, understanding. And so you were going from this concept of, I've got awareness, to I need to be able to build understanding with folks. A big revelation of mine was really around goals matter. There's a, there's a scene in The Matrix about purpose and how everything needs to have purpose because if it no longer has purpose, it doesn't matter. And I will tell you that unless you have purpose, unless you can state a goal and you can do so simply, no one will follow you. But even good followers need to have their own storyline, otherwise they will not be good followers either. And so my storyline is that in the next 15 years, security will be done. If I achieve my goal, security will be done. And the reason why I stated that simply is because we've got to basically climb a huge mountain together. I need everybody's help in the world to get there. But unless I state a purpose that's actually something that resonates with you, you won't necessarily be able to attach to it and provide value to it. 
And so the idea here is it's going to take me 15 years because I've got to be able to bring a whole bunch of companies with me in this first five years, which means people have to believe in the journey and they have to believe in being attached to it. So if you're going to inspire people to be on this mission with you, and if you're going to inspire them to work with you, you must have a purpose that resonates with them. HPS starts with team principles. Your team has to build these principles. It can't be you. Um, along the way, we had this most incredible revelation that if you're going to put a bunch of people together around a table and they're going to be fighting it over how do they understand something, you got to measure crunchiness. We have a crunchy meeting every week. It used to be with 10 people, and it was a relatively large meeting where we sat in a room and we'd say, what was our crunchy scale? So one to 10, how crunchy were you? And some people would say, I'm a zero. Oh, you're not working hard enough. Oh, good. Great, here's some more work. Or, hey, I'm a 10. Why are you a 10 on the crunchy scale? Well, I've got too much things going. I don't understand this thing. You messed up my Git request. Um, and there was all this stuff that got built up and frustration can get resolved only if you talk about it. So you had to bring conflict to the door. You know, the other thing is, is you've got to check your ego at the door. You've got to be resigned to the fact that you're going to push leadership forward, that everybody is going to teach each other, and that training is going to happen. Confidence is critical. One of the things that was really interesting is if people don't have confidence, they're not going to be successful. And in this case, patience really has to pay off. You know, it has to become a blameless environment. Gene Kim actually will tell you that one of his major principles is that if it's blame, if you have blame in your environment, then people won't learn, they won't be excited about coming to work every day, and they won't get invigorated about the mission. So you've got to change how they're going to learn. This is actually a really interesting concept because awareness doesn't become operational unless you can fight through their confidence challenges. So changing that is really important. So does your team keep score? Um, a great thing that I heard once upon a time was that if you're keeping score, you'll only move a little bit, but if your team is keeping score, you'll move a lot. And my team keeps score. Empowering them is all about having them understand what a score means and um, really bringing them together, having the conversation. My score sometimes is just snuggling up with my little teddy bear and, uh, you know, again, the cat picture, obviously. But when it comes down to it, the greater uh, value that gets derived by your team is because they kept score. They actually derived what it was going to mean, and they could tell the story. This was what gave us DevSecOps, so if you're not familiar with DevSecOps, there's a lot of material out there, and I'm not going to go through each one of these things because you, you may have seen some of this, but ultimately, we've transformed how we do security. We've really focused on the work and the value. We've gotten to the point where we've realized hygiene does, just doesn't cut it. Making sure you've got perfect software security isn't going to get it done, but finding a way to bring skills together that are important and valuable in the mission is really essential. Enabling us to go through this was um, a big journey. I think when I met Josh Corman, he had this whole supply chain concept. It is critical to moving software from a design state all the way through to operations to understand the things that are going to engage you along the way. Bringing your teams along for the ride means really going out and understanding what the community is doing to solve these problems. They are real problems to solve, too. There are absolute constraints and mistakes that get made along the way. But finding the most valuable ones to solve for are also essential because you can't have recalls every day from a security perspective and survive. Your company will be completely slowed down unless you can find the most important things to solve for. 
We also realized we needed to build a playbook. There's a whole bunch of really deep materials that go into how do you set up a DevSecOps organization, having an operating model that's effective, building processes, and by the way, telling your team how to operate, not so effective. Having your team solve problems, building on their own processes, figuring out what their outcomes are, keeping their own score, going through the process of understanding what it means to go from one end to the other, solving for communication challenges, all of these things are essential, but realizing that that tooling part that I said is not very well solved in the security community right now for DevOps is essential and critical, and it may mean that you have to invest in building tools to make this happen. It also empowered us to really think about how we tackle the problem um, by thinking about science. How are we going to tell the story? How are we going to keep score? What was the value we were creating? We started keeping track of things that were happening in our cloud hack stacks. Um, I saw this thing from Miracode. They did a great job talking about um, how you hack a cloud stack. And it was a couple years after we did ours. And this totally resonated with me. And the reason why is because this is how my team operates. They go looking for bad stuff and figuring out how to measure bad stuff is by sandboxing it and understanding how to build those workloads. You need those development skills to be able to do so. So the change that takes place for somebody who's going to do DevSecOps is really about taking your security skills and up-leveling them from the simple principles of minimum security to something that is way more advanced. And to do so, you have to have the confidence and the skills and the role modeling required, which means measure everything because it's that data that essentially gets you that confidence. I'm excited about this one in particular because taking data that comes in every day and turning it into pearls of wisdom is about funneling it down. Having billions of events and actually making use of that is all about taking a lot of people who have very disparate workspaces and processes and bringing those things together to correlate them, to do the case management necessary, to take things from billions of events all the way down to hundreds of things that you have to solve for that are most important because adversaries are actually attacking your software at that very tail end. Don't waste the time of your development teams and your software teams solving for everything, solve for the most crucial things, putting those directly into your developer backlogs, earning the trust of your developers that those are the things that they should worry about as opposed to everything. And this takes time, and there's a lot of um, lessons that have been learned through going through this. And we're still on that journey, but we're absolutely tackling it, and so will you if you're going to start to make strides with moving security to the left. Making things simple is absolutely crucial as well. So remember I said that you've got to move people with you. You've got to actually figure out how to do so by making it simple. People can remember five things pretty well. They say it's eight, but it's really five. And ultimately, I think it's kind of three. When it comes down to it, these concepts, these principles are really important. If you want to get a chance to hear about this, I would go to Michaela Yacaroni's talk on Thursday because he's going to talk about this hierarchy of needs. And we went through the journey of understanding what it really took to make software safe. Finally, I'll tell you that we've blazed a trail so that everybody else could succeed too. Our lessons are not just our lessons. They're things that we need to share, that we have to give away, that you need to understand. And by the way, I want to understand and learn from you as well, and your organizations as well. We need people to come to this capability and understand what it's going to take. And that means a lot of exercising the muscle of science and bringing information together. Your folks are going to need role models and they're going to need help and we are going to also need information to be able to get better and get faster than attackers are. 
Adversaries spend a lot of time educating each other, selling tools to each other, and up-leveling so that they can ultimately break in. There's a simple economic principle when it comes down to hacking investments. If we break their cycle of how they're educating their hackers and their adversaries, and they can no longer get early talent, we break their cycle indefinitely. And that's something that we need to take seriously. That's what this mission is about. So I'm going to leave you with, how can you learn more? This is a slide that has a lot of links in it. If you um, want to really get into what this took to bring this type of thing to life, these are some of the influential materials that I read, that my team read, to really understand. We've got a lot of support from the community on DevOps, from Enterprise DevOps, from HBR, and a lot of folks that have been really, really helpful in spreading the word. The all-day DevOps conference is free. Spend the day watching that material. I'm going to leave you with one last thing. If there's nothing else you do, it's get involved. Write an article. Learn something. Spend time educating people around you. Get your team involved in it. You will inspire an entire army of people to come to the same conclusions we did. Volunteer because, by the way, the community can actually take out the adversarial commitment by simply reducing their ability to invest in it. Thank you so much.